Welcome to a Couch Divided podcast where secular psychology meets a Christian worldview with Dr. Robin Hall and Nick Thomas. All right, Nick, sit back and relax. And if you can't, we need to talk about that. <laughs> Prepare to be couched. Welcome, everybody, to a Couch Divided podcast. I'm Nick Thomas. I did it again. You told it. A Couch I Divided. The, I did the a pause. Podcast. If we remember from the anxiety episode. Yeah, yeah. Captain Kirk cadence, I was right? having anxiety leading up to this moment. Anyways, <laughs> I'm with the lovely Dr. Robin Hall, the beautiful Dr. Robin Hall, Mother Hall, all of these. Th- if you have nicknames. Mother Hall. Mother like Hall. Yeah. The Reverend Mother. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> that's what I'm going to say when I stub my toe against the couch. Yeah, Mother I, Hall. Mother Hall. <laughs> I always, anytime I think of like Reverend Mother, I'm transported back to The Sound of Music. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Julie Andrews. Oh my gosh, yeah. She's memorable, isn't she? She, oh. she was beautiful. She's just classy. <laughs> I don't really know anything about her personhood. So like, I'm not speaking to her. I don't know if she is a Christian. I have no clue. None, none of that about her personals, but... You just know, class act. I, I spoke <laughs> in the, uh, I think it was the anxiety episode uh, about, you know, the horrors of childhood and the things that I saw when I was a kid. <laughs> and it was the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The Phantom thing. There are a couple of good memories. Right. And one of them was watching The Sound of Music. Now, before you question my orientation or anything like oh. that, The Sound of Music, I was one of my favorite uh, movies oh, growing yeah. up. Um, and I know all the songs. Because you have taste. Yes, there it you go. It has nothing to do with anything else. <laughs> well, I wouldn't admit it for the longest time that I know, okay, well, you know, uh, so far, farewell, right. you know. Uh, but, but good thing now your identity is in Christ. So you exactly. don't have to be caught up in those like secular I Yes, labels anymore. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. you're totally free. You can actually watch Sound of Music and we be all right. free indeed, yes. And be all mm-hmm. right. You hear that? So watch a Julie Andrews movie and be, and be sanctified. <laughs> you could say that Julie Andrews was the antidote or the medicine or the spoonful of sugar that helped the medicine of Phantom of the Opera oh, no. go down. Oh, okay. I like tried to pull it together. No, no. I already felt awkward talking about Julie Andrews anyway. But no, see, that's... Uh, I, I okay, so I do love those moments. Uh, Which uh, moments? Or, you know, like the Mary Poppins moments yeah, or, yeah. you know, Sound of Music. Um, I thought it was good. Um, I lo- and everybody knows it. Everybody oh, right, knows it. Right. It's a, it's a it's a universal. Yeah, you've accidentally seen the sound of music, right? Or a clip, know, or a clip, uh, right? Right. And right. you know the song. I'm sure there are so. peoples in remote regions of the world that have never been uh, exposed to what we're talking. And I know there's a specific name for the like cultural phenomenon right. we're talking about. I can't pull it at the moment, but. Um, like most people on earth, right. right? 
have probably like heard of or seen pieces of themselves. They've had to. It's an internet meme nowadays. You know what, what I mean? It, oh. Whoa, Julie Andrews in the field. Well, yeah. Because uh, who doesn't want to <coughs> frolic in a skirt throughout a beautiful, like, Alps, um, Austrian Alps, like, meadow? I know. Everybody wants I mean, that. and sing at the top of their lungs, right? Yes. Of course. And I want to do that right now. I'm doing it in my head. <laughs> I want to do As that we're right speaking, now. I'm frolicking in a skirt through a beautiful meadow, <laughs> like, reveling in God's creation and i'm singing at the top of my lungs and it's probably the hills are alive you know it's better it's better than the topic that we're getting ready to discuss right now which is addiction and if anybody heard our opening you probably are thinking about doing drugs now (laughs) however don't we're not and listen to the sound of music i mean we're silly and nonsensical but i don't think we're drug inducing maybe Maybe my voice is that. No, no, I'm just picking on myself. Um, Yes. So so today we are talking about addiction. So I'm going to give our little disclaimer. You're going to hear this disclaimer a lot. This is by no means an exhaustive discussion of addiction. Um, We are, this is our introduction, our introductory series um, episodes. We're not sure if we're going to, if it'll end up being one or two. Um, to addiction so that we can get you guys familiar with um, the way that psychologists, psychiatrists, so clinicians, treating clinicians in general understand addiction and uh, the different substance related and addictive disorders. Um, And then we're going to talk about the Christian perspective on addiction. Um, so again, you know, I'm not, we're not going to get into like the nitty gritty of every single type of substance that you can be addicted to, um, or the, like the effects, you know, thereof, um, in future episodes, we'll spend like full series devoted to each specific type so that you guys can get familiar with all the brain chemistry that's involved in it. Um, and then understand like the specifics of each addiction, the behavioral consequences, co- consequences, excuse me, Contra- and consequences. <laughs> I swear I am not currently using that word just came out of my mouth <laughs> uh, consequences i like how you just say consequences yeah. it's, it's 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 not i'm tired or anything like that i'm not using i promise consequences well, it's on the mind um <laughs> so yeah so uh with that said um you know anybody that is struggling with an addict this is such such a common problem mm-hmm. um and uh once we get into the the Bible based, the Christian centered explanation for addiction, I think it's going to make a lot more. I don't make a lot of sense why it's so prevalent right. outside of just the basic, you know, positive reinforcement stuff that's going on when you use a substance. So um, we're going to jump in to the uh, DSM. Again, for those of you guys that are new to the podcast, um, the DSM-5 is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders. It's uh, published by the American Psychiatric Association, and it's the book that is used uh, in North America. It's used all over the world, but primarily in North America to classify and diagnose mental health disorders. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say before we like 
jump into that part, Nick? No, I think that we should uh, dive right into this. Um, you've heard me say in previous podcasts that I've had experience uh, uh, with these things. I'd rather not go into that right now because those are going to pop up. Sure. Um, and so I'm actually curious to hear the more uh, of the clinical side, which I know very well. Um, but from your perspective, I think that we should just uh, yeah, dive yeah. right into that. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping to like, so I'm not saying that... Um, as Christians, like that, this is the best way to to categorize substance abuse. But it, I will say that I think it's a good way of. Um, there's been a lot of research done to support the way that they've separated and categorized these different things. Right. So, um, uh, we've definitely heard you talk about your history with substance use in the past. I also have a, a very significant history um, with it. Um, and I'll leave my, you know, own personal experience um, out as well, unless it kind of comes up as we're talking, but, right. um, and maybe we'll do like a live Q and a video at some point where you guys can talk yeah, to I us. If you have questions specifically about, our, you know, our pasts. I'm, I'm kind of convicted of two things right now. First of all, I am an open book and you've heard all the stories yes. and I don't mind telling those uh, things. But I, I also want to emphasize, though we love people's stories and then and sometimes in relation, it does help us uh, with yes. these things. Yes, yes, yes. Remember, my experience in my salvation from it manifests itself differently in everybody's lives so if i just told you my story and say see i did this you mean it, it it like it's very you what you're saying is it's specific to you you're not exactly that doesn't mean that it will be everyone's experience yes. right uh, because there's certain avenues that i've walked that the lord's grace provided for me that in hindsight i go that's the way that it should have been done uh, with no regrets. As Paul says, we receive the spirit of salvation with no regrets, meaning we're not regretting how we've been saved or regret that we have been saved. Sure. Um, and so there were some things that I probably should have been on medication after drug addiction, and I chose not to, and God, by his grace, saved me. I cannot recommend that uh, Yo, to yeah. anybody because I don't know. Well, you. we're not making any recommendations at no. all about medicine. Uh, um, yeah, and you, know, you want to hear stories that make your toes curl? Well, then email me. I'll tell you them. Right. But, but uh, other than that, I will tell you my experiences vaguely. And right. Uh, well, we and we want to focus too on what Christ, like that Christ has delivered us from those. Right. Like the that specific sin. So yeah, so and this this is extremely common. If um, I'm I am I realize I'm speaking about it very clinically for like something that is so personal to me. Um, this it's a big deal. Like if you haven't struggled yourself with addiction, you ch like the chances are. I mean, I would be willing to bet a large sum of money that you know somebody that has right, mm -hmm. whether it's somebody that you're you're personally close to or. Like more like a seven degree, you know, what is that? Seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, like by association, right? <laughs> so, um, and it, it, uh, this is, this is one of those things that can be like absolutely be fatal at one of the 12 step, um, AA and, you know, the different anonymous groups, one of their adages is, uh, you know, we, like they, we would end up in jails, institutions or dead jails institutions or death um so the consequences of addiction are can 
are and can be like utterly catastrophic. Right. Um, so we, you know, we want to make sure that we are acknowledging that, that this is not a light topic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, hearkening back to the notion that you probably know somebody that's been struggling with this and you have. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just going over brief statnews.com is where i get a lot of oh yeah you're just, like okay that. yeah yeah i didn't um, bring any statistics well okay. i i just want to say is there's a and this is predicated upon how many people there's that word uh, how many people are in recovery in america and it's estimated that 22 million now it doesn't when you mean, say recovery yeah. do you mean like participating in participating in rehab or have graduated from rehab oh that's what that means so, this so is it's not thing. referring to people that participate in a 12-step group. Yeah, correct. So this is okay. all avenues. Now, that doesn't mean they've been successful or, wait, wait, or wait, anything all, like that. So you mean that this statistic is supposed to be all-encompassing? Both in and out of rehab. Okay. Because, and this is important because the secular world says once an addict, always an addict. You're always in recovery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after that. I don't agree with that um, uh, from the Christian yeah. standard. We'll but, talk about that in more But detail. just even these figures alone, and it's probably a little less. But 22 million uh, Americans have either been through rehab or graduated from rehab. Okay. Or, or going back and forth kind of okay. thing. And so, yes, you've met <laughs> somebody yeah, uh, right, along right. the road, either affiliated in your family, friends, or right. connections or something. Or, or you've at least been exposed to it. Like, you know, there's tons of stuff. YouTube documentaries. Like, there's lots of people. Yeah. Lots of, like, famous people have struggled with addiction. Like, I couldn't even search this on Google without ads of local rehabs and articles popping up up first. And it says ad right there. So, I mean, they have those at the tippy top of things. It's so interesting. I've, like, throughout school and then when I was practicing, um, I got a lot of different... Well, actually, that's not true. I got... mostly the same answer from treating clinicians you know masters of social work therapists psychologists um that like addiction was a very difficult thing to treat um and actually i only spoke with one he was a as still is i believe a psychiatrist i won't name him because i don't want to I don't know. (laughs) He's in the mafia. (laughs) I doubt it. But um, anyway, to keep his his identity anonymous, but um, to a psychiatrist who worked here in the Valley, um, that addiction was his favorite thing to treat because once you took the substance out of the equation, for the most part, you saw like significant improvement in, you know, 99% of right, cases. So you get results. Um, and I liked that. I really enjoyed that, that kind of shift in perspective uh, because I think the overall general consensus from everyone, it, like not just treat, you know, treatment staff, treatment team, but family member, friends, like everybody who's, you know, yeah, they on the it. sidelines, they see how difficult it is yeah. to overcome. This is the number one compliment that I kept getting throughout, <clears throat> you know, uh, my getting out of these things. Um, I just graduated uh, college. Yeah. Um, and even people that know my past and go, see what a clear mind can do? See what a clear mind can right. do? And there's more to it than that. I mean, like, I want to talk about right. the new covenant and the gospel when it comes to that. Um, and by the way, Jesus didn't save me from drug addiction to put me in GCU to uh, right. get a, uh, that's a pit stop on the way to the grave of sanctification and glorification. Um, and I'm writing something about that right now. But yes, I mean, everybody sees 
you know, your healthiness. Uh, mm-hmm. You're not sunken in face anymore. Right. You're, but, which is juxtaposed to that like hideous version of you when you oh, were in your full blown like, addiction. Remember right? the Phantom of the Opera? I was that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I turned into that monster. <laughs> you were the scars. <laughs> okay. So, um, yes, that was a whole lot of, uh, uh, I don't know, set up <laughs> to use a, like know, a comedian, <laughs> a comedian term. Um, <laughs> Nick is a comedian or was in his former life. <laughs> if you guys didn't know that. So, okay. So the DSM, um, categorizes like addictive addiction disorders in, um, a group that's titled substance related and addictive disorders okay so these disorders encompass 10 different classes of drugs so that's wow they're divide the disorders are divided up in a specific way and this is one of the ways they're divided up or the way they're classified so um 10 different classes of drugs so those are alcohol Mm-hmm. caffeine mm-hmm. cannabis hallucinogens which is divided into two separate categories uh for fencyclidine and then everything else that mm-hmm. has a has a different mechanism of action so um other hallucinogens so right. those two categories um and then also inhalants opioids sedatives hypnotics anxiolytics which are anti-anxiety right. medications benzodiazepines specifically mm-hmm. Um, stimulants, so that's things like methamphetamine, cocaine, um, those are your uppers, tobacco, and then they have another category for unknown substances. Hmm, okay. Um, so the the DSM emphasizes that the classes are not fully distinct. Right. Um, and that all drugs that are taken in excess have in common the direct activation of the brain's reward system. Right. So. Uh, Dopamine. Well, actually, all the neurotransmitter oh, neurotransmitters, right. and each substance specifically works on different. Hmm. Like, d- d- there's a pro- like a primary yes neurotransmitter involved. <clears throat> um. So, uh, again, anything that's taken in access in excess, excuse me, uh, activates this specific reward system in the brain. The pleasure centers is kind of what you'll hear in like. In medical circles, the pleasure centers of the brain, um, uh, which is involved in reinforcement of behaviors and the production of memory. Um, So when those things are paired together, when reinforcement um, is associated with memories that like especially positive memories, which, you know, the typically are first anyway, can be anyway. What Um, about loss of memories? Oh well, I'm mean, that's so that's it's like I can't remember, yeah. So wait, what are you asking? Like loss of memory, like uh so when I got out of drug addiction, I found oh, it yeah. hard Big to remember. Oh yeah, big blank spaces. Things. So yeah. we'll talk we'll talk about that too. So the yeah. substances themselves um can lead to, to memory loss. Um and then kind of the entire idea behind using substances in excess is to numb out, right? right? Is to be emotionally avoidant. So we'll talk a little bit more about that too. Um, we use them to cope. We use them so that we don't have to feel negative feelings right. so much. Um, so when, when we avoid that way, when we like stuff and block, we can end up with right. big blank spaces. Yeah. Also, 
when we're engaging in like highly risky behaviors because mm-hmm. of substance use, lots of trauma can happen. Yep. Which means dissociation is in play. And we haven't really specifically talked about dissociation before. Right. Um, but essentially it is a like metaphysical checking out of your body in an effort to protect yourself. Right. Um, so uh when that happens, especially when it occurs during like during trauma, so it's the specifically peri-traumatic dissociation, we are very likely to have big, giant black holes in our memory. And it's not because necessarily like anything's happening to the memory cortices in the brain, but um, we're not like we're scanning our environment so much or we're so out of body in the moment that we're not actually making the memory to encode to begin with. So memory is oh man that'll be like a huge long series in the future memory is super fascinating but yeah your memory ultimately can be impacted by substance use of course um i think that's what you were asking me yeah, yeah? well i just experienced uh like right of coming off of it i i i mean I, i'm even talking about my short-term memory right after it like i couldn't remember where i put my shoes and I oh couldn't yeah i yeah. remember where this and and sure and i know that they were calling it post-acute withdrawal uh-huh. um, that my uh, my neurotransmitters, my brain is just starting to rewire itself back to the new normal kind of thing. And um, I just couldn't remember anything. Yeah. Um, that lasted for a little bit, but then it, you know. Yeah, it gets better. It gets better. A lot of that is related to anxiety too. So if, Maybe, if you are yeah. very, very highly anxious and engaging in, behaviors as a result of that anxiety like scanning you really aren't paying attention to what you're doing so like you're not encoding into short-term memory and definitely not into long-term memory um so yeah so you know memory is definitely impacted um so anyway uh the intensity of the response that's produced with the activation of this reward system can cause individuals to neglect other activities of daily living in pursuit of the substance. Okay. So, I mean, uh, this isn't mine. I can't even remember where I heard it, but it's true. When you think about something powerful enough to pull a mother like away from her newborn right Mm -hmm. like to engage in whatever activities in pursuit of drugs like we're talking about something that's extremely reinforcing Right. right um you know, I mean, it's cliche, but nothing really touches a, um, like a mother's love, right? right? I mean, ultimately, I'm not speaking to every mother relationship, right? We have some bad moms out there, um, but th- it's that powerful that that the like analogy is if something is in inf- like if it if if it can influence someone in this way, it must be powerful, yeah. Okay, so all um, also in this category of disorders is gambling disorder. So that's mm-hmm. housed here. And it's because of the evidence that we have that reflects it activates those same like pleasure centers in the brain. It's a similar process that's going on. Um, it also can produce similar like behavioral consequences to other substances. 
uh, going back to the gambling uh, addiction, uh, there's a comedian that I used to follow, uh, Artie Lang, and some of you know him. Uh, very popular comedian. Uh, he had a gambling, he had a lot of addiction problems, substance abuse, but he had a gambling addiction. One profound thing that he said is the reason why he kept gambling is not because he liked the rush of winning, but that he enjoyed the rush of losing. And so he, the more money he spent and the more risk there was involved, the better the high oh, yeah. from gambling. And it was if you won, yes, you got a high. But if you lost or the risk of losing was exponentially rewarding to him, which is kind of a weird way to think about it because you, you think that you're just addicted to the winning and losing would cut it off. It's like, no, that was the oh, rush see, That's of it. so interesting to me. That, that, yeah. I know. I, like my logic d- is more in line with. Mr. Lang. Yeah. Um, but it like, and it actually is applicable outside of that. Like you have to keep upping the ante. Right. Right. And so and anybody that's struggled with substance abusers, known somebody that has, this is true of drugs also. You don't right. start out taking necessarily, like unless, unless you die the first time you use, you don't start out taking the amount that you will ultimately be taking Right, you build a tolerance. Right. So it's the same. It's the same thing with adrenaline junkies. Right? right. What once was enough to cause like that rush is no longer, and yeah. so I keep upping the. It's the same. It's, it's the same like concept. you're. You know, you're watching a basketball game. You have a hundred grand. You know, uh, on this team, and when they shoot the three throw, you know, free throw or three pointer, you're like, ah, every single time they shoot the basket and boom, boom, boom. The rush of every single play and every single minute of that game <coughs> was what he lived for. Oh yeah. Uh, and of course there's different ways to bet uh, on those things. Oh yeah. I just, just, I actually ooh. like just recently, like it was in the last six months, like learned how people bet on sports. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I would sure I would be super terrible at it, but I, I can understand how people that really know the game, like know the games, know the players, could potentially like make some very informed decisions about how they're betting. And when you, you, know? you know, when you're betting on sports, it makes even the dullest sport so good <laughs> kind of thing. I don't think so. I don't think that even if I bet on golf, you that can I would... watch cricket and bet on it and go, do it, do it. And Cricket's that's... probably interesting to watch though. <laughs> you know, like right. just by itself, there's some interesting, pe- like a cricket bat. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, like, I'm sorry, but I would rather do anything else. I would rather be in labor than watch golf. So you'd rather be in labor than yeah. watch golf. <laughs> It's that boring to me. So anyway, and I like, and I'm not denying that there is definitely an amount of skill involved in it. It's just not my thing. Um. So okay, back to back to our topic at hand. Um. We've got ten classes of substances, and each one of those substances is divided into disorders. Okay, so. Mm. We've got alcohol-related disorders, opioid-related disorders, cannabis-related disorders, okay? And under each one of those categories, you've got um, alcohol. So, like, for for example, under alcohol, you have alcohol withdrawal, alcohol intoxication, um. And then, like, alcohol use disorder. Mm-hmm. So if somebody were to come into an ER extremely drunk, 
then they could be diagnosed with alcohol intoxication. Right. If they were in a treatment center and hadn't had alcohol for a certain number of hours. Right. If they met criteria, then they would be diagnosed, you know, momentarily anyway with alcohol withdrawal. Right. Okay. After that, like initial intoxication and withdrawal have ceased Mm -hmm. um, or never were engaged in because the substance use is continuing, right? Then you have alcohol use disorder. And then there are, so there are specific, there are specifiers for each one of these disorders. Um, So in early remission and then in sustained remission, also in a controlled environment. So um, it, it, like you specify alcohol use disorder in early remission. If, the criteria for the disorder have been met for at least three months, but for less than 12 months Um, in sustained remission after full criteria were previously met. None of the criteria for alcohol use disorder have been met with at any time in the 12 month, like the 12 month period prior. Right. So I'm sorry. I think I misspoke when I said in early remission. So for at least you have been sober for at least three months. Right. Um, and then in sustained remission, you've been sober for at least 12 mm-hmm. and a controlled environment is specific to rehab. Yes. So like they are sober right now, but that's because they're institutionalized in a hospital and they can't leave. Right. right. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's specific. Um, just I, a Pepsi mom, just a Pepsi. Anyways, I'm sorry. That's that, the song institution <laughs> institutionalized. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So because, Alcohol is one of the substances that's so commonly abused. I figured we would go through the specific criteria and then maybe cannabis just to give you guys an idea of how the disorders are mm-hmm. like broken down. Um, but again, we're not I'm not going to go over all 10 classes um, there. We're, we're going to do later episodes where yeah, the Bible actually covers all of them. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, where it, we get it, into each one specifically, yeah, you know, yeah. for fun. Um, yeah. It's so interesting, actually, before we, like, hop into alcohol. Back to the gambling thing. I've only been to Las Vegas one time. Um, I was I, – I went over my 22nd birthday um, and – for a wedding. Um, and this was absolutely in – during, like, the heights of my addiction. I remember um, – I actually can't tell you specifically – all of the multiple substances that were in my body Hmm. at the time, but I had been drinking, definitely smoking, uh, weed, um, and any number of like pills, probably stimulant, some type of upper. And I remember walking into one of the casinos on the strip. I can't even tell you which one it was. And like looking around at all the lights Hmm. And the smell in there. Right. And the coolness and the carpet and the flow and the energy and having that distinct thought like, oh, like I see why people like this. Yeah. You know, Um, and. It's very Hunter S. Thompson of you. Yeah. It was definitely fear and loathing. I. (laughs) My own version of it. (laughs) Fear and loathing of Robin. Where did you get those golf shoes? (laughs) The bats. The bats. Okay. Um. Okay, so alcohol use disorder. So uh, just like we've talked about before in the other episodes, other podcast episodes, um, each disorder has criterion that describe uh, symptoms, behaviors, 
uh, that need to be present in order for the diagnosis to be made. Right. Right. Okay. So the A criterion for alcohol use disorder, a problematic pattern of alcohol use leading to clinically significant impairment or distress as manifested by at least two of the following occurring within a 12 month period. Hmm. So the DSM, like their time specifiers are very important. I don't know if anybody's picking up that theme, but it can't diagnose this disorder unless these specific time requirements have been met. Um, And, you know, there's lots of people who will argue that there's research supporting that. And then Mm -hmm. there's lots of people that will argue there's research that doesn't support that idea. Okay. So um, remember, it's not a disorder. It's not considered a disorder if it doesn't cause impairment. Right. Okay. So clinically significant impairment or distress. Two or more of the following. One, alcohol is often taken in larger amounts or over a longer period than was intended. Hmm. Two, there is a persistent desire or unsuccessful efforts to cut down or control alcohol use. A three, a great deal of time is spent in activities necessary to obtain alcohol, use alcohol, or recover from its effects. Four, craving or a strong desire or urge to use alcohol. Five, recurrent alcohol use resulting in a failure to fulfill major rule obligations at work, school, or home. So I got so drunk that I was too hungover to go into work. Right? That's the idea. Six, continued alcohol use despite having persistent or recurrent social or interpersonal problems caused or exacerbated by the effects of alcohol. So this is continued use like in spite of negative consequences. Right? Right. Important seven, important social, occupational, or recreational activities are given up or reduced because of alcohol use. Uh, eight, recurrent alcohol use in situations in which it is physically hazardous. Nine, alcohol use is continued despite knowledge of having a persistent or recurrent physical or psychological problem that is likely to have been caused or exacerbated by alcohol. Ten, tolerance as defined by either of the following. So tolerance is either A, a need for markedly increased amounts of alcohol to achieve intoxication or desired effect. Or B, a markedly diminished effect with continued use of the same amount of alcohol. Hmm. Yeah. All right. And then 11 is the withdrawal. Um, This is the most interesting withdrawal uh, syndrome that I've seen in substance or alcohol uh, abuse. Um, There's stories out there that this is the most intense withdrawal that somebody can go through. Oh, alcohol withdrawal. Yeah. Um, So it's it's actually quite dangerous. Yeah. So... um, like you can die if you are drinking enough daily um and then just quit cold turkey you can die so uh don't do that Mm -hmm. do not do that um in fact if you have to go into the hospital for any reason do not lie about your alcohol problem yeah let the hospital staff know and the nurses will bring you alcohol yeah you're not gonna get arrested you're um this like it's that serious so like under no circumstance do that right right? um yeah it can be very dangerous that Mm -hmm. way um so withdrawal as manifested by either of the following a the characteristic withdrawal syndrome for alcohol uh, which is uh 
well, I can, I can go to that in a second, actually, because it's specific to alcohol. Um, or B, alcohol or a closely related substance such as benzodiazepine is taken to relieve or avo- avoid withdrawal symptoms. Hmm. And when you like go to a rehab center, right. very typically they like will do a like a medical detox, right? Yes. So that means that as you are coming down as the substances of abuse that you've been using are leaving your system, you are medically detoxing with, you know, usually psych meds, right. definitely anxiolytics like Xanax, <sighs> Clonopin, phenobarbital. Um, and so that's to help with the, like the withdrawal symptoms specifically. Right. Um, so, Alcohol withdrawal. So that like the characteristic symptoms. Are you ready? Cessation of or a reduction in alcohol use that has been heavy and prolonged. So this is what causes the withdrawal. Cessation of use. Right. Right. Two or more of the following developing within several hours to a few days after cessation or a reduction in alcohol use. Hmm. So one. Autonomic hyperactivity, sweating, or pulse rates greater than 100 beats per minute. Mm -hmm. Two, increased hand tremor. Three, insomnia. Four, nausea or vomiting. Five, transient visual, tactile, or auditory hallucinations or illusions. Psychomotor agitation, so that's needing to pace, tapping your foot. Um, Anxiety, generalized tonic clonic seizures which is mm. where we get into the potentially fatal yeah. piece all wonderful stuff <clears throat> um so yeah withdrawal is no joke uh, and withdrawal from each different like class of substance is going to be different right right um again we're i'm going to focus on just some of our more like common substances like alcohol and marijuana cannabis i might look at um we could look at opioids that's a huge huge issue in our country right. country right it, now not just our country methamphetamine but. is on the rise well it has been on the rise for quite some time as well right. uh, i only have experience in withdrawals and that stories we'll talk about that later <laughs> wait we'll talk about it later here withdrawal from meth uh, in, uh, either in this episode or in a later episode okay, whatever gotcha. comes up yeah all right everybody wait with the bated breath because i'm i'm very curious about your withdrawal experience <clears throat> well if you want to go into them right now we can but we're talking about alcohol but i mean whatever you want to do but uh i yeah it wasn't it wasn't very pretty I'm i sure would actually wasn't. like to hear the clinical withdrawal if you have them in there and i want oh, to compare it to actually what stimulants? i went through sure. yeah yeah let me get there yeah um and i you know what this would be this would be very interesting to see what they say and and i'm either gonna go yep <laughs> or uh uh or uh no right but uh well this and this is the life of a podcast podcasters guys like we have a plan and then it just takes its own and it just veers off into another direction right okay so you want to look at stimulant withdrawal yeah Okay. You can call methamphetamine a stimulant. It certainly well, it is. is. No, it is. A yeah, okay, it absolutely yeah. is a stimulant, and that's based on like how the mechanism of action. Yeah. Cause, um. So. Because caffeine well, did not do this to me. Rather that well, so caffeine is also considered a stimulant, right? Yeah. Like it's yeah. not anywhere near as potent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as some of the other stimulants available. Okay. So, um, in order to go through the withdrawal, we need to go through the the A criteria. Sure. Let's do it. Okay. So. Um, again, somebody that is 
using methamphetamine in a disordered way um, would not be just, uh, excuse me, um, diagnosed with amphetamine disorder or methamphetamine disorder. It's with stimulant use disorder. Right. And again, the same specifiers in early remission and sustained remission in controlled environment. So sober at least three months, sober at least 12 months, right? Or at a rehab. Hmm. Okay. Um, stimulant use disorder. A pattern of amphetamine-type substance, okay. cocaine, or other stimulant use, leading to clinically significant impairment or distress, as manife- manifested by at least two of the following occurring within a 12-month period. So you guys will see all the similarities to alcohol use disorder. One, the stimulant is often taken in larger amounts or over a longer period than was intended. Two, there is a persistent desire or unsuccessful efforts to cut down or control stimulant use. Three, great deal of time is spent in activities necessary to obtain the stimulant, Mm. use the stimulant, or recover from its effects. Four, craving or strong desire or urge to use the stimulant. Five, recurrent stimulant use resulting in a failure to fulfill major role obligations. Um... Six, continued use despite having persistent or recurrent social or interpersonal problems that are caused or exacerbated by the effects of the stimulant. Seven, important social, occupational, or recreational activities are given up or reduced because of the use. Eight, recurrent stimulant use in situations in which it is physically hazardous, like while you're driving. Nine, stimulant use is continued despite knowledge of having a persistent or recurrent physical or psychological problem that is likely to have been caused or exacerbated by the stimulant. So like an alcohol, an alcohol use disorder, this would be knowing that you are um, in liver failure and continuing to drink, right? Um, Ten is our tolerance, um, our tolerance symptom or 11 withdrawal so we will i met a lot of that criteria though yeah oh yeah well you definitely would have met the criteria for that two through eight and then uh nine and ten okay so let's go through stimulant intoxication so that people get an idea about what goes on when you are high on a stimulant so um, there's an A and B criterion, recurrent use of amphetamine-type substances, clinically significant problematic behaviors, or psychological changes. For example, euphoria or um, affective blunting. This is being, like, numb. Changes in socio, uh, social ability, excuse me, hypervigilance, interpersonal sensitivity, anxiety, tension, or anger, Stereotyped behaviors, impaired judgment, all that develop during or shortly after the use of the stimulant. Hmm. Um, Two or more of the following signs or symptoms developing during or shortly after use. One, tachycardia or bradycardia. So those are heart arrhythmias. Two, pupillary dilation. Three, elevated or lowered blood pressure. (laughs) Four, uh, perspiration or chills. Five, nausea or vomiting. Six, evidence of weight loss. Seven, psychomotor agitation or retardation. Eight, muscular weakness, respiratory depression, chest pain, or cardiac arrhythmias. Hmm. Um, Nine, confusion, seizures, dyskinesia, dystonias, or coma. All of that. Okay. Um, Yeah, I had a severe um, 
I used to check my uh, heart rate all the time <laughs> uh, because I would, you know, my heart would be pumping so much uh, on these things, and I was always scared about having a heart attack. Yeah. And I could just be sitting there, and you know, my pulse is one thirty, one forty, oh, and yeah. then it would just slowly go up. Hurry, yeah. Right? And then I would create more anxiety by worrying about it, and so it would just elevate yeah. even more. I remember walking around trying to calm down, and it would only. Yeah. It would only get well, worse. You're moving. Yeah. <laughs> I was so afraid of of um being in the hospital because of it. Mm. And uh and you don't have any help because all the the help that you're getting is from people who are also using trying to give you tips and tricks of the trade. <laughs> and I would always realize that and I go I'm getting advice from a meth addict yeah. you know and it's not and i was so blunt i was always blunt i have funny stories about that too as well uh-huh. uh but i was always so blunt these are some of the things that i was experiencing inside of methamphetamine on tons of other things uh you've mentioned uh motor skills yes uh they, not not motor skills like motor agitation yeah motor agitation kind of thing <laughs> uh speech horrible um uh thinking horrible um uh, you mentioned retardation. I don't know if I qualified for that. No, no, no. You know, that, but, so uh, that's so psychomotor agitation yeah. and psychomotor retardation are two different things. Yeah, and it's not yeah. like your stereotypical understanding of the word retardation. Yeah. No, it's so re- mean would mean a blunting. Like, right. So like m- along the spectrum, moving more towards catatonic, like not moving. Oh, not moving. Not so. moving or like having very like strange movements jerky yeah. movements i had a uh, a very intense focus on things yeah. and you see this in uh, uh meth addicts too as well staring at engines with flashlights i was into tearing apart my computers and putting them back together yeah. um and so you- part of that like is a is a consequence of psychomotor agitation needing yeah. to do something with your hands right needing to like be preoccupied mm-hmm. um okay so withdrawal that's kind of that yeah, was that was of, the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a long way of getting to that. So, um, okay, dysphoric mood and two or more of the following physiological changes. Um, that so this has to develop within a few hours to several days after, um, you s- stop using right. uh, of the stimulant. One fatigue. Two vivid, unpleasant dreams. Three insomnia or hypersomnia. Four, increased appetite. Five, psychomotor retardation or agitation. So. That's, yeah, so that's it. And that's kind of similar to the experience inside of um, methamphetamine, the the motor agitation, right? The, you mentioned that um, just now. So, like, yeah. that happens across yeah. the, I mean, rel- it, it will happen across the board with different substances, but it is specifically an issue and stimulate yeah uh that happened it almost intensified after uh drug use as well Mm -hmm. um i don't know if that was the anxiety of wanting to recover or wanting to be off of this or the temptation of coming back to it no what it most likely was now you're no longer numbing out yeah so the things that you were feeling very blunted before right right now feel so much more like sharp and vibrant because now i don't have that substance numbing me out to it exactly so it's not exclude like it would be great i guess if we could take a substance and 
then direct it to the very specific things you right. were trying to avoid. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. It is just an av- like it helps you become avoidant of all things. Exactly. Hence right. the now we understand temptation and why you would want to go back there because of all these things. And uh, again, uh, loss of memory, uh, throwing up all the time, especially fresh off of it. I was throwing up all the time. But also that's also the way uh, because of the way I used to take uh, methamphetamine as well. Um, I, I took it in a lot of ways, but one way is that I would drink it. I would put it in water because it didn't dilute. Uh, or at least somebody told me that. I don't know if it did, but it, it, <laughs> it, you know, uh, it worked. Right. Um, and it would sit like a rock in my stomach. Um, that was the last time that I did methamphetamine. I did it that way. Um, I used to do it that way a lot, but the last time I did it, I did it that way. Sure. And so my now my body is rejecting all of that, plus the withdrawal, the hallucinations, yeah. the motor agitation. I'm still hearing voices. Mm-hmm. And then this kind of, for about six months, kind of continued, minus mm-hmm. the throw up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. right. Like there were symptoms that continued to, to yeah. be present for a long time following yeah. your cessation of use, but that at least in your, in your circumstance got gradually better, yeah. right? The longer you were away now, from that last Paranoia year. intensified um, after that. Mm-hmm. I was convinced that everybody was messing with me even more so after that, because I believe that was probably based off the trauma that I received inside of methamphetamine mm-hmm. um, because I never got over that. Right. Um, and so that just intensified. I didn't want to go to rehab. They made me go to rehab kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and so that, uh, that just continued uh, on. Right very sensitive to sounds uh as well um you know i i I always imagine like uh, like i was a soldier coming back from war so it is so that that's it is hyper arousal so when um we're talking about like similar processes that occur within the body yeah what that like what so when you are like spiking your like dopamine and adrenaline with stimulant use those things are also spiked when you're in a combat situation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in terms of survival, being hyper aroused, which like being extra sensitive to sounds, movement, mm-hmm. um, increases the likelihood that you're going to be able to protect yourself, right? Mm, Thereby yeah. increasing chances of survival. Mm. So when... It you're likening it to like I felt like a soldier coming home from war. It would have been very similar, just right. with different like origin stories, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I wasn't you know like crawling around looking for Charlie, right. but I mean, I thought everybody was doing it on purpose, right? So you know, my mom's washing a dish and I hear it bang, and I go, and I react to that. Sure. Now I couldn't clinically, uh, uh, you know, uh, define this and have any knowledge at that point. So I just thought she was doing it on purpose because it was making me feel this way. I was already paranoid. I thought, you know, Ashton Kutcher was going to pop out in any minute and say, you got rehabbed. And then all of this stuff was some kind of psycho play to get me better. Because the more that I pressed into this stuff, uh, the more I had to survive. Yeah. That's, that's what I felt like. And so they were all pay, uh, playing it away. Uh-huh. And now in a small way, it kind of worked out that way. Um, uh, but the Lord's sanctification was in my life, but these are all the experiences that I've had, uh, outside, uh, of methamphetamine. And then slowly, but surely 
it got better. Uh, the longest symptom was the voices that lasted for a long time. Right. And 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 still which uh not currently, but lasted for about two and a half years, almost yeah. three years. It gradually got smaller. Um, uh, there was one night I was praying and the, uh, uh, the miracle of the Lord, I asked him just get rid of these voices mm-hmm. and they've, they lowered down from an eight to a one after I said, amen. And right. then just gradually dissipated okay. after that. And that was a praise was a God. Huge, yeah. It was yeah, a huge miracle. God. Yeah. So I'm, I'm again, I'm it was a super, miracle in his grace. I'm but, yeah. su- right. I'm super glad that you decided to share that specific <laughs> piece of your story. Um, because you struggled with that specific symptom experience yeah. for a long time. Yeah, very long time. After, after you quit using. I think that's an important piece to key in on. There's significant damage done. There can be very significant damage done to our like physical temple, the body, yeah. when we use. And the repercussions of mistreating it can be really long lasting. So there's no guarantee that this, like it would ever necessarily go away. Um, which again is another praise to God, right? Completely. And the good news is, is that even if we were in the other category, we would be able to suffer well through it with Christ. Um, so this is, and this is very, this is your story, right? Again. Yeah. That's why I wanted to preface it. God's grace on my life. Um, it's not better than yours or worse than yours or on another level than yours. It was predicated upon his will it's for my life. It's specific to Nick. Yeah, and Just glorifying like, to him. you know, yeah. everyone's is specific to them. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can't command your voices to shut off. Right. But definitely pray for it. Uh, but what actually happened in there is that he taught me a lesson first. And I think this is good to go over. Is because even the intensity of these voices... When I started reading the word, God's word through my heart and through my mind outweighed the stuff that I was hearing to where I wasn't paranoid. I was sick of it. Right. But um, uh, I constantly, after after uh, getting past the voices, not listening to them um, and knowing that it was, um, you know, a bodily ailment, um, you know, a, a, a dysfunction in the brain. Uh, God's word took over as preeminent, though. So whatever the voices were telling me, they right. they were a lie. Um, and I heard my name a lot. I didn't hear commands a lot or anything. Well, that's a really common. Yeah, it's a really. But there was a couple of times you where, you know, I heard stuff that, you know, like uh, kill yourself. Sure. Like I would hear stuff like that. Well, and so that know. is a command hallucination. Yes. Yeah. Um, which are um extremely important to pay attention to i mean to notice if you're seeing that happen in somebody or somebody tells you that that's going on seek help um quickly um it's and like command hallucinations like that are actually not not as common as other auditory hallucinations but to hear your name is a very very yeah. common one sometimes i would just hear my inner thoughts too as well yeah. if i was thinking something and then all of a sudden i heard it audibly um so i'll share yeah. with so um in my own history my own experience with this when i was um using stimulants this was right at this was at the beginning of like my my experience with like hallucinations with psychosis um i would hear the radio keep playing so yeah. i would so um, me too. i would sit so in weird. my car 
and uh, turn the radio off, yeah. and then the full ma- the full band, man. Wow. The Beatles would just keep playing, and uh, so and I would turn my radio on and off to make sure I had actually shut it off. It's that real. So for for any of anyone that has never had a hallucinatory experience, it's not like the things in the room have a like a an x that this is the hallucination and this isn't right that it is just your reality it is your reality you can make no distinction between what is being hallucinated and anything in the room that's tangible oh yeah so it was so weird that you had very real so weird that you had that experience i used to hear baseball games oh yeah you told me about it yeah and i i used to go into the bathroom turn on the ac or the fan excuse Mm -hmm. me and I used to hear a baseball game and I would go in there. Well, let's see who's winning today. And, like just to mess around with my mind. Sure. Uh, I knew it was hallucinating mm-hmm. and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And it's not, no. by the way. Um, but well, I, a baseball yeah. game, like, I don't know why. I don't even like baseball. A baseball game isn't, isn't <laughs> as bad as like. So somebody who's suffering from a psychotic disorder will yeah. have aud- frequently have auditory hallucinations and it's just voices demeaning them. Telling them how worthless they are, how awful yeah, they are. I used to hear that um, too. Yeah. That's totally different. That'd be a different experience than hearing a baseball game. I used to hear my ex-girlfriend go, oh my God, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like make commentary. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. So I hope that gives you guys kind of like a, a glimpse into how substance disorders are diagnosed, like categorized, classified, and then diagnosed within the DSM. So within each of the 10 substance classes, there's multiple disorders. There's the substance use disorder. So alcohol use disorder, intoxication and withdrawal. Um, and then also there is a, a, an other specified category and then an unspecified category like we talked about in previous episodes, right. which are act essentially as the catch-alls, right? Like yeah. if there are certain symptoms present, but not, not enough to meet criteria criteria um then you would diagnose in those categories um and like i said we'll do episodes where we specifically focus on each type of substance we kind of focus a little more on stimulants than i was planning to today just because nick and i both have experience in our own history with those um but yeah so that's that is the uh the clinical outline of substance use the sec- clinical or secular um outline i think it's important to talk about like as we move into the the biblical worldview and the so what of our discussion um we need to mention that the like popular culture actually med like just medicine in general right. uh, western medicine has likened addiction to a disease Okay, so what that means is, is they have placed the components of addiction into the medical model. Right. Right. So uh, the medical model is is actually very, very simple. Right. It's, there's, like, you identify the organ or system that's broken mm-hmm. and you fix it. So the medical model postulates that the broken system in addiction is the pleasure like system reward system of the brain that's right. the broken organ um and through cessation of use of the substance and like therapy right you fix 
you treat or fix the organ. Okay. So that's how it, they apply it to the medical model, making addiction a disease. It at least with regard to, um, the way that we turn currently treat any, anything medical or mental, um, allows for insurance billing really ultimately. So, um, you know, it, it allows for treatment. It allows it allows for treatment because of the um, essentially the insurance billing. Now, of course, they never say that. That's mm-hmm. but that is it, right. Right. So, yeah. in any of your like twelve step groups, so Alcoholics Anonymous and any of the you know hundred other ones that have um, rippled you know out of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, really focus on this this concept of medical model, even though. It wasn't a concept that was around necessarily when uh, Bill W. did right when right when he was writing the big book, Um, or excuse me, when he was writing the twelve steps. Sorry. So, I think there are a lot of dangers with calling addiction a disease. In that. What it does ultimately is allows the individual who is using to externalize responsibility. That's, that's yeah. the way I know it manifests. I, I feel, yeah. I, I forgive me for being um, hesitant in how I speak about this because I think that the 12 step programs. And not just those, but like you, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording things like uh, groups like Al-Anon, right? Right, right. For the families and friends of people who are going through addiction. Um, I don't think that anyone can argue that people have found them very, very helpful. Right. The problem is they're in their steps. They're so, so anti-biblical guys. Right. Um, a- like I, the, the God of my own understanding. I mean, essentially the program is encouraging you to develop an idol and worship it. Right. There to, to trade that idol for the one that you are currently worshiping. Right. Which is mm-hmm. a great segue into this from a Christian worldview. Addiction can be very simply broken down. Yes. It is idol worship. That is exactly what it is right. to a T right. at idol worship. Now we can make the argument that every sin is yes. idolatry. Right. And we, we really can we really can. Yeah. Uh, so let's start with that concept first. Why is every sin um idolatrous? So the idolatry, uh the idolatrous nature of our nature, uh and nature of and nature of our sin. Okay. So every sin can be boiled down to idolatry. Why? Well, let's just go to Exodus 20. And we all know the verse. Uh, reading out of the King James Version. But he says, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, there's a reason why this is the first commandment. Uh-huh. Because he's preeminent. Remember, the beginning uh, of the law is love God with all heart, heart mind, soul. soul, and strength. Yeah. Can you do that when you're sinning? No. Therefore, you're not. You are failing yeah. in the first commandment. Yeah. This is exactly why James says when you break one part of the law, you're guilty you of it all. The first commandment is the foundation and precipium of everything. If you do not have, thou shalt have no other gods before me, right. you can't have a law. Right. Because where is it coming from? 
Right. What's your ultimate authority? Right. Even God is pre-sub. Right. <laughs> In yeah. that sense. Yeah. What standard are you comparing it to? Right. This is how we know what sin is because it's a reflection of what God isn't. Sin is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and we've heard the greatest apologists say this, God does not hate thievery primarily because thievery is bad, mm-hmm. but God hates thievery because he's not a thief. Right. So therefore, every sin, he's not covetous, he's not adulterous, right. he's not murderous, right. he's not a thief. He, you know, we can go down. Right. The list. The list. Uh, it, but the second commandment is just like that, uh, which is don't make any graven images and bow down to them. It's a worship thing, right. which is idolatry as well. Right. Now, right. typically, we do think of idolatry as bowing down to uh, a, 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 an idol. That's categorical. That's not... That's not in total. Right. It's not. It it doesn't mean like only rubbing a Buddha statue belly. Right. Right. It's anything that like that becomes your master that isn't God. Now, here's the thing. Here's what the secular world won't get. Remember, we mentioned uh, the disease of addiction. Right. Okay. Um, in some small part, the Bible would agree, but here's what they agree on. We believe in the doctrine of total uh, depravity. Right. It's not a disease. It's your anthropological nature right. to worship something else besides, besides God. God. Right. And you need a redeemer to have a new heart so that you don't do that. Right. Here's the thing. You're cured when you're with uh, with a savior. You're cured of your idolatrous anthropological nature. You're, you're free- still going to struggle with the you're manifestation freed of your bondage. Yes, your bondage. Yeah. Uh, so, to that. like, our sin nature is pervasive. Once you become a Christian, every Christian, every honest Christian in the world will attest that their like sin does not vanish. Your right. war with sin just begins. Actually, um, so it it isn't. It isn't that you are cured from sin. The cure that is offered in Christ yes. is the freedom from bondage Amen. to it. Um, and we believe in the doctrine of eternal security. So right. the uh, secular world says this. Once an addict, always an addict. They never release you from that bondage. You're well, always in recovery. Yeah. You, so and anybody that's got um, experience with 12-step groups, you and before you speak in, a, in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I'm an addict. Hi, I'm Robin. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. Hi, I'm Robin. I'm an addict. You identify yourself with your problem, your idolatrous nature. Right. Um, And the motivation within a 12-step group, a program like AA, to constantly remember that you are an an alcoholic or an addict is it's fear-based because- If I forget that for a minute and I like make a mistake and I use again, then I've lost everything. Yeah. Okay. So that's so unbiblical. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, the Lord does have a sense of a fear based thing, but it's always the fear of him. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so and that's, that's the, healthy. It's, it's, it's fear that if I, if I fail, if I mess up, um, that that leads that will lead me like it will lead me to death so and this is the problem with any answer that is outside of christendom that's outside of christ as the response because there is there is no higher standard or answer you are relying on self even though the program themselves like the program itself stipulates that you're like praying to a god 
that's like a higher power, somebody that's higher than yourself. Right. What you're forgetting is that if you're not worshiping the true God, all you're doing is worshiping an idol, like the God that you've created. Right. You'll hear, you know, a lot around like the rooms, like I, I worshiped, I worshiped God, G-O-D, group of drunks. Right. I worshiped the doorknob when I came into the rooms because I, I was such a staunch atheist or agnostic, whatever. I couldn't pray to this, you know, ethereal being or a concept of it. So like that is extremely dangerous, right? And like scripture is very clear when you are praying to idols, you get nothing back, right? So it needs to be a fear-based system. If I'm not afraid that I will lose everything if I, you know, make a mistake, if I relapse, quote unquote, then like, I'm much more likely to do it. That's, that's the idea. I need to constantly remember that this is a part of my identity. If I ever forget it, then I'm likely to engage in old behavior. And here's how weak the God of 12 step is. You know, we come to the belief in God of our own understanding, right? right? But it also has you admit that you're an addict first. Now we've talked about ultimate authority. If you're an addict and you're relying on self, your ultimate authority is what you're doing, right? Your your idolatry. But then they want you to believe in God of your own understanding and all of a sudden switch the authority. But that authority is not strong enough. To say that you're not no longer well, an not, addict. It's not different. Like the yeah. authority is still you. Dude, if, if you're creating yeah. the God that you worship, like my goodness. Just be an addict. Just be honest. <laughs> Alcohol is your authority and you cannot how, get away with it with how, your God. How like utterly brazen, right? Like it's it's touted and it's it's disguised in this feel good, uh, like pop psychology. Fallacious. It absolutely yeah. is. If you are deciding on the attributes and characteristics of the God you are worshiping, you have created that God. We serve a mighty God who is our Whose character is unmutable, unchanging. We don't have anything to do with it other than we're a reflection of God's image. And the the Bible is not ignorant to your temptations or your affinities in the past life. Even Paul says, take heed lest you fall. Don't be an idiot. Right. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, and but, I hate to use harsh language like that. It sounds like that, but don't you know, be an idiot. Right. So are there some people that should never have a drink again? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there other people who like can? Yeah. Absolutely. So the, the who, people that abused alcohol once that go on later as a Christian through, you know, through mm-hmm. sanctification and can have a glass of wine and not think anything about it. Yeah. And that is themselves. also absolutely true. Wine so makes the heart glad. <laughs> there is not, this is, there's not a one size fits all. So there's, there's total freedom within God's law. You're uh-huh. released so much and you have that coursing through your members right. that when God is your foundation, how free are you? We think it's so thou shall not and all the, oh yeah, so you can't murder or covet or commit adultery. Oh, how terrible for right, right. you. Or that God's like trying to keep you from living your best life now. Yeah. You know, by, with the boundaries <laughs> that are put in place. And that's why no. false teachers have to right. promote that. No. They have no way out of their suffering. The issue is, is God, <laughs> there's like lots of reasons. God is a jealous God, right? That, that like he doesn't want us worshiping his creation it's not good for us right. either like so he's preeminent he all like he's the only like being our triune mm-hmm. god worthy of worship right? right that's that's established as a christian you believe that right um so 
when we worship other things, it's not good for us, right? right? Um, but we kind of tend to react the way that, you know, like a stubborn toddler would when mm-hmm. they want their seventh candy bar of the day and you're the parent not allowing that to happen. Like the toddler feels like it's this restrictive authoritarian curmudgeon type, you know, boundary, but it's really not that. So, and I don't know that, um, I don't know that that is like a, a prominent thought in the, like, you know, recovering quote unquote Christians mind that God's just trying to keep me from enjoying myself. No, but Um, I, I did experience that, um, that bondage in thought uh-huh. and through the process of sanctification, you, were, you know, yeah, I, I, I disowned it. Mm-hmm. But I remember, you know, six months of uh, of sobriety. Um, I do count my sobriety date, not the day that I quit drugs, mm-hmm. but the day that um, I was born again. And oh, yeah. I don't call it a sobriety date. I it's call just it, an important date. It's, it's just I was born again. Yeah. That is the day that I was sober. Sure. Um, because a sober mind doesn't mean that you're void of intoxication. The sober mind means that you have the wisdom of the Lord because you fear him, Mm -hmm. which that um, I received a particular grace. That fear of the Lord was put in my heart so intense. And this reminds me of when Moses came down from the mountain Mm -hmm. and there was a storm cloud, a very intense storm cloud in Israel. The Hebrews saw that. Right. And they got afraid. Almost like... Uh, the apostles were afraid when Jesus ceased the storm. What matter of man sure, is this? Sure, sure. So Israel is looking at this storm and they become very afraid because the storm is hovering the, uh, over the mountain where Moses came down and they knew it was God. Right. And Moses says, do not fear for the Lord is letting this fear <laughs> come upon you so that you may not sin. Yeah. So that fear is predicated in love, but also, hey, I'm a wrathful God as well. So it's an intoxication of I am preeminent. Right. Remember all of my components. Remember all of my characteristics. Remember all of who I am. I'm holy. Right. I am all of these things. Right. And it really challenges the like popular Christian uh, like visualization currently of this hippie Jesus that like just had flowers in his hair and was like, I, it reminds me of the people um, at airports, that cult that used to like walk up to people and give them flowers. And they wore those kind of monk habits. You yeah. Know what I'm talking yeah. About. Um, we should talk to Jerry and ask him which cult that was. Cause I don't remember. Um, but yeah. Uh, what would you specifically said about those cults? And maybe I can identify it. They, they, the, the people that would go to like airports and malls and hand out flowers and they looked like Tibetan monks only they were white, of course, but they wore like, clothes like that oh okay i don't know i can't it was like big in the i think the 70s 80s Hare krishna it might have been yeah maybe i don't don't remember um that was big in the 70s that's not i mean if you go to revelation yeah and and try and compare the culturally portrayed image currently of christ with the christ that's described in scripture right and it it's you know it's so it's just not the same thing i really quick i think um and I like I don't want our like discussion to devolve like too much into. Oh, this is good stuff. I love it. <laughs> well, I devolve is probably the wrong one. I don't want us to get distracted. Yeah. Uh, like I want us to stay more on topic. But um, just because we can simplify addiction as a Christian into terms like terms of idolatry, right, doesn't mean that it's an easy thing to overcome no not at all or to cope with or to treat through right? suffering you're going to be 
taken out of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. If you can remember that suffering, you're suffering for his namesake right. now if you're with him, out, uh, uh, out of addiction and with him. Right. And remember, your purpose is not just to overcome addiction. You have so many other problems right. too as well. Well, so so if all sin is idolatrous in nature, then you are constantly killing idolatry, whether you're idolizing a substance or not. So just right. because you aren't like using alcohol anymore doesn't mean that you aren't combating idolatry or quote like addictive right. tendencies. <clears throat> There's been so many people in my past, especially uh, in friendship with my family. Um, my parents used to uh, do a Bible study uh, for recovering addicts at the church. Oh yeah, and they called it the Laugh Class, right? You know, you oh. laugh, live, enjoy. I, I don't, I forgot what the acronym was, but it was a cute That's acronym. So cheesy. But yeah. uh, it was a good class, and it started to really grow uh-huh. uh, almost into a small congregation. Everybody went to this class that was an ex-drug addict. My dad, being an ex-drug addict, so he helped a lot of people sure, with sure. Uh, with biblical presentation. I, I I liked it, but a lot of them would fall back. Because they pursued the Lord wrongly. And here's the thing. They tried religion as because as prescribed by the 12th step, by the way, because uh-huh. um, they were going through AA and uh, NA and uh, the God of their own understanding. And of course, they're American, so they're going to choose Jesus. Um, and so they went to uh, uh, church, saw a little bit of results in there, keeping them away because they had community and family. Sure. But when the proverbial poop hit the cr- uh, fan, they <laughs> fell and I want to say a different word, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they fell again because they didn't understand the new covenant or the salvation of the Lord and what he was actually doing. And they had no foundation of, of suffering whatsoever. Even if my dad taught that, it was not correlating in their mind. Mm-hmm. And then some people got it yeah. because Jesus actually saved right, them. Right. Well, and so <clears throat> when you say fall, I, I, I'm making the assumption that you're assuming to like fall and then didn't get back up again, like continue. Yes. Yeah. yeah or, or this... Um, uh, I was counseling a, a person one time. He described it as a merry-go-round. I got him off of that notion. There is no merry-go-round. There is no entering in and falling back and entering in. But these sure. people, yeah, you know, it's like it's as either it relates to your relationship with Christ. Yeah, it, it's right. right. You, you're either saved or you're not, yeah. kind of thing. Uh, uh, but however, yes, there would be constant people going in and coming out, coming in and coming out, yeah. going in and coming out, and they would just try the same thing over again. And I go, you don't have the fear of the Lord Uh in your heart because you're not born again. Uh And I'm not saying relapse doesn't mean that you're not born again. Oh yeah, What I'm saying is that your behavior, your attitude, and your constant repetitive nature only signifies the fact that you really haven't repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ. So, I mean, and, you know, how do you judge someone's salvation at all? Like you look for fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Right? Long, you know, so when you analysis over time, when you, this doesn't mean that Christians don't sin. Christians sin all the time. Christians struggle with sin. Christians have pet sins, right? Yeah. Are you grieved over your sin? Because what you understand at the heart of it is that you are, you are acting in a way that, nailed jesus to that cross right right are you grieved over your sin because of what it is what it it's worshiping anything besides the one who is worthy of worship right right are you grieved by it do you struggle with it i mean those are hall those are hallmark indications to me right that does not mean that you're going to do it perfectly right um so in the way that the medical model allows for treatment of substance use disorders, I think that that's a good thing. Be- I think it's a good thing 
because it has to be that way for the system that's currently in place. Ultimately, it sh- I don't think it should be that way. I don't think insurance companies should have any power to, di- to dictate treatment, but that's just... Oh, they do. They really run the show, unfortunately. Um, so... That's why you see those unspecified diagnoses. If doctors want to get paid, then, right. then the insurance company runs the show. Um, so... If you are, if you struggle with addiction and you are, have had difficulty, difficulty reining it in, um, keeping away from it, you know, for long periods of time, I, I would encourage you, first of all, when you, to suffer well does not mean to suffer alone, right? Right. You're never suffering alone because you, like, as a Christian, you have Christ. But that means like including the people around you, your brothers and sisters, your church body in your struggle, right? Mm. Don't do it alone. Isolation, uh, not only is it just like poisoning mentally, it encourages you to continue sinning, right? <laughs> right? So like the don't keep secrets, I guess is the... Don't yeah, keep, be honest. Yeah, be honest about it. Um, Especially in church, you're and like... And start likening your struggle break it down to what it actually is yeah. is when i'm anxious i would rather go to weed or booze or whatever it is instead of christ right because that the immediate effect of the relief i feel from this right which also doesn't last forever any really veteran substance abuser will tell you that there comes a point when it just stops working right um no matter what you're taking or how much you're taking of it um but you when you are bowing to the creation instead of the creator, um, rework your thinking around it in those terms, right? And then pray for God's help. Go seek help. Go to therapy. Treat the reason that you're trying to be emotionally avoidant. I know we mentioned this earlier. You know, people, a lot of people use substances to actually it really doesn't even matter how it starts out like you can be introduced to it because you're just curious right um and then continue like you know for any number of reasons not the least of which is that it's extremely physically reinforcing right depending on the substance that you're using right um but ultimately people use sub use anything they worship like food is another one Right. right um to numb out or to feel better right to either increase positive affect or to decrease you know negative affect so you have to deal with those things that you aren't wanting to face right Right. um and the free freedom in christ also means i don't have to be afraid of those things and he sees it whether or not you're honest about it or not sees it right you're not tricking God. you're not yeah and he knows exactly <laughs> the way to sanctify you yeah and we've talked about this in previous episodes like the resentment of, of sanctification in some cases i believe it when we were talking about um much ado about self or uh, or, or an, uh, another podcast uh but um like the struggles in sanctification uh the purging out of sin it doesn't right. feel good mm-hmm. and you're gonna feel like god has abandoned you in, in, in cases that's the work he's doing right he didn't abandon you um he is pressing you right. into situations kind of like what i just described as you know everything coming at me i was paranoid i thought everybody was doing this mm-hmm. and if i pressed into it i could fight it mm-hmm. kind of thing he would set me in situations right. like that right. all the time right. Um, and I'm not saying that's the way he's going to sanctify you. Yeah. 
but I can pretty much say that you are going to suffer and you are going to enter in those situations where you have to, you have to face it. And this is why we, we would say, be honest and don't suffer alone. Um, you know, there will be some times that you're alone, but you don't always have to be alone. Right. This is why God points to the church and right. gives you brothers and sisters and right. gives you a pastor. This right. is the importance of biblical church. Right. This is also the importance of understanding what false teachers are and what false teachers aren't. Well, and it's also a reason why it's important that like our pastors and anyone who is like counseling, right? Because the Bible says that like as as a Christian, we're competent to counsel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that you are doing so from an informed platform, exactly. right? Um, that you aren't causing more damage because of you just don't you just don't understand or know mm-hmm. about this this type of issue, right? Yeah, don't avoid it. The Bible speaks no. to it. But so the, and it, be bold. Call it, it, it adultery. Ex- it's very very. It can be very very frightening to have to face the things, the trauma, the hor- the the results of the sin like sin world sin we perpetrated sin like other people's sin that made us victims um whatever whatever it is it it can be i mean so terrifying that we do drugs to avoid dealing with it right but the freedom in like freedom in christ means not having to be afraid of processing those things um he doesn't we're not asked to like it right we're asked we're asked to be like joyfully obedient right that doesn't mean that we aren't allowed to feel bad sad whatever emotion it is that comes up when we're processing things that have happened in our life especially trauma um he what he does is he provides us a place where we don't have to be afraid of it right right we can approach it um that we've really we've bought into this really significant lie in i mean in our culture my guess is worldwide but it is very predominant in the western world um that any kind of negative emotion if experienced for more than like two or three minutes is pathological. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not true. No, it's not true. There are all. things that are supposed to impact us, right? right. Um, the scripture is so clear. I, I, like, I'm, I'm always going to come back to just one of my favorite scriptures in John where Jesus is about to lay, raise Lazarus. Mm-hmm. He looks at Mary mm-hmm. and he cries. He cries. Yeah, he Jesus is weeping. If that isn't permission to fully inhabit the emotional repercussions of this fallen world and death and anything else that might have happened, try, I don't know what is, right? Remember, he isn't I, expecting us to be stoic. The, yes, he exactly. also He also is expecting that we face it, mm-hmm. right? Like, we're, he doesn't save us so that we can sit idly by and miss out on our life because we're too afraid to deal with right. Right. And I, you know, one of the things where it's the shortest verse in the Bible, everybody knows that Jesus swept. Right, right. But then around that, he goes, everybody looks upon him and says, look how he loves them. Look how he loves her kind of thing. Jesus swept also knowing that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Right. But he loved Mary. It blows my mind. He loved her. Yeah. It's compassion. The pain that she is experiencing, he, he, like, 
he feels it fully and he does it without fear in front like he he did this he displayed this mm-hmm. it's included in scripture for our benefit so right. you know all that's to say that's a lot of discussion about like you know dealing with the potential origin story of your addiction issues right mm-hmm. ultimately it is idol worship you may need like clinical help for it um so if you do go seek it seek pastoral counseling accountability right with your brothers and sisters in christ um and keep your focus on your true identity right which is not robin the alcoholic but it's robin the christian robin the redeemed rebel saved by grace through faith exactly you know um and um you know and and the bible speaks uh you know, again, going back to the idolatrous nature of addiction, Galatians five twenty, um, talking about the um, anti fruits of the spirit, if you want to call it that, idolatry, witchcraft. Witchcraft is the Greek word um, pharmakia. So using drugs now for spiritual experiences sure. is idolatry and forbidden right. in the law of God uh, to partake. That still happens today and more so oh, than yeah. you think, especially with this hype on psychedelics uh, uh, nowadays. Yeah. Oh, yeah, as, DMT, as, mushrooms, as, things as like that. As treatment even yeah. for, for psychological disorders. <clears throat> Uh, I would say, yes, it, it, it does cross into those boundaries. Yeah. You don't know what you're opening yourself up to when you lose your mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and you may come out of it with uh, this kind of enlightening epiphany. But we have epiphanies all, all the time. Right. Um, and uh, an epiphany doesn't mean that you have a truth. Well, okay. It just means so you might have fixed like the behavior. Here, here's the thing. It's not that we can't come to new understandings of things. Like, we learn all the time. Yeah. But we should have nothing revealed to us outside of scripture. If you are like invoking some kind of spiritual experience and using that, like and equating its truth with scripture, you are in very dangerous yeah, I, territory. I used to call psychedelics epiphany drugs epiphany because drugs. the point of taking psychedelics on my part wasn't to have a spiritual experience. I was an atheist, uh, anti-theist. I yeah, mean, yeah. a really staunch. Me there was no God right. whatsoever, no spirituality. Your goofy yeah you're you know? stupid mm-hmm. but i did want knowledge mm-hmm. and i wanted wisdom and i wanted to talk about space and the human condition and esoteric things because i like you Hunter wanted S. to Thompson. philosophize oh yeah yes that's exactly <laughs> what i yeah, that's exactly what i wanted to do and i wanted to become a wordsmith yeah and i i became that a pontificate extraordinaire oh yeah to uh, <laughs> to the um uh, uh correlation of people who knew me before drugs uh-huh. i wasn't very poetic uh-huh. but when i went under drugs i became that and they go you're different you speak different and things like that and i go yeah i know i'm growing and well and I, yeah i mean it acts as a shield too like you become 10 foot tall and bulletproof exactly now that is pharmakia uh mm-hmm. i mean I, I i didn't worship a god but it is pharmakia because i worship well, you, something you worshiped you worshiped the god of one of the things i drugs. said i uh, i said um i said i cannot be sober i've worked hard for this identity mm-hmm. And it really was all encapsulated on becoming Ooh. somebody. Oh, man. Man. Can you relate to that? Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh yes. Yeah. So hard. Um, but I was just blunt about I it. Mean, I mean, and it, it like, you know. so to see that by nature, we're looking for something to worship. I mean, that God created us to worship him. Mm-hmm. So we are constantly looking for things other than when we're not Christians, other than Christ to worship. Right. And then even as Christians, our proclivity mm-hmm. is to like our sin 
nature, but we are no longer bonded to it. Our allegiance is to Christ. Right. We are new and renewed and transformed in him. That does not mean that you won't make mistakes, that you won't sin. And please don't hear, like, what I am not saying is that anybody that, like, relapses is not a Christian. I don't mean that by any stretch, mm-hmm. right? Christians fall like this all the time. Right. Um, so it's, it's, are you making war with it? Mm -hmm. Are you making war with it? Do you, are you grieved over it? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and and be prepared, uh, Christian, when you do fall like that in, because it it is a defiling sin. Yes. This is the reason why they're not the fruits of the spirit. Yeah. I'm not talking about you lied. I'm talking about falling back in the relapse kind of thing. Um, be prepared to question your salvation. I'm not saying that you're not uh-huh. or you are, uh-huh. but be, uh, be prepared to question it and be prepared for somebody to question it. Uh, the reason why I, I use that exhortation is because that thing, if it does penetrate your heart to where you could not possibly be saved or you don't know, could lead you to uh, a, a repentance, a godly remorse. Uh-huh. It has with me a lot of the times uh-huh. when um, I uh, full-blown idolatry, especially in my early walk. Now, what I'm not saying is that you're not saved. And you, when you relapse, you're not saved. Yeah, no. But uh-uh. be prepared to have that question come up oh, in I your see. heart. Okay, that as part of like a relapsing experience it, it, as exactly. a Christian, like this is part of the self-examination that yeah. could happen. If okay. you're laissez-faire about your salvation, chances are when you fall, it's because you've never had it. If you're apathetic about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you uh, relapse and you're like, I shouldn't have relapsed because I sinned against God and I love him, mm-hmm. chances are you're saved. But I, right. I'm just saying be prepared to have that question yeah. either come up in your own mind or somebody asking you, what do you view about Jesus right. Christ? Because it is a godly remorse that could lead to repentance. Mm-hmm. And don't skip that. It's going to hurt, but yeah. don't skip it. Yeah, yeah. Don't skip it. Right. Um, I mean, I think that we have to walk a really fine line there because we do believe in perseverance of the saints. Like once saved, always saved. Um, you don't lose your salvation because you exactly. Um, so... I think we can liken it to another, so another like process addiction, um, a a huge problem, I mean, just as big is like pornography, sex addiction, right? Um, Just like I would not say that somebody who like screws up and uses again isn't a Christian, I would not say that a person who like fails and watches pornography again isn't that's no uh -uh. it is a struggle and it is a progress right right? um it's does it grieve you are you making war with it right right right. so and and like you there may be you may be in a circumstance or somebody that you love may be in a situation where they absolutely have to have medical intervention at Mm. first because of whatever addiction whatever they're like worshiping as their idol, whatever substance or, you know. Um, And so if that's the case, seek that treatment. Like, don't be shy about it. No, not at all. Um, And, you know, um, I think one of, one of the very good things to be said about um, Alcoholics Anonymous or um, like Al-Anon, any of the like uh, support group type, um, treatment i guess it's not i mean it's not technically treatment but i mean the people of aa would definitely disagree with that um 
like gathering like-minded people together to um to kind of share war stories and like feel more normal so getting support is really really important right and those extremely the groups offer that but devoid of christ like focus on the true god it's all it's just all for not yeah, just a bunch right? of sinners giving each um, other advice about how to sin better well <laughs> or how to avoid sin but without like repentance without yeah. repentance yeah. i mean without true repentance biblical repentance they might they might repent quote unquote of using you know in a secular way yeah it's just behavioral changes mm -hmm. it's uh and that is what makes it so fragile yeah right without christ it really is so fragile it's just like the the pharisees they clean the outside of the cup and on the inside of yeah. the cup and here's the thing jesus says that you can clean the outside of the cup mm -hmm, right but if the cup is not clean on the inside mm -hmm. you're dead right you're just dead whitewashed tombs right, right? while you look pretty you're not doing drugs anymore, <laughs> but you are dead. Right. Carcass Spirit on the inside. Spiritually. Smelling whitewashed. Right. So um, good news, right? The good news of Christ is there's freedom, um, true freedom. And uh, all you need to have it is to repent and believe the gospel. Jesus says, I, get, I came to give life and life more abundantly. Right. Your life is not just overcoming addiction. No. Your life. And that your identity isn't either. Exactly. A lot of people get glued on that because this is how intense addiction is. It causes trauma. It causes scars. It causes other people to suffer as you're going through it. And you realize that. But there is a lot of things that are involved uh, uh, with addiction. However, if Jesus saves you just because you need to be sober, and that's the only thing that he's going to work on. He's not much of a God to follow. Right. And he's going to give you the whole of himself. As he says, I came to give life more abundantly. There's more to life than just rehab in NA or yeah. AA. Right. Um, I know people that are just stuck in there. You are more than an alcoholic. Exactly. For the rest of your life. Um, not that these things can't help. I know that they can. Mm -hmm. But they are not your religion, and they certainly are not your God. No. Get into a church that is better. Get into right. a biblical church. Right. That Please is even better. Please don't spend any time worshiping a God that you create. Yeah, don't worship a God of your own understanding. Worship the God of understanding. Right. The, the one true God. <laughs> the one true God, Jesus um, Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Right. All right. So I, I feel like that's a... Like a good place to I mean, it. there is so much to go down under, uh, but yeah, we're going to leave it off right yeah. here. So we will return to this topic, of course, like, and like we said, spend time going through just for information's sake, each exactly. specific type of substance and, you know, other, other different idols that we worship commonly. And I'll <laughs> leave off uh, with this um, and we'll give our final thoughts, I suppose. Um uh, you who are not struggling with this idolatrous addiction, but know somebody who is, your prayers are not in vain. Right. They are not. And I know sometimes they feel like they are. I have uh, struggled with that concept. Uh, I'm currently praying for somebody right now, mm. and I've been praying for five years, and they seem repetitive, and it's exhausting watching them tear their life apart sure. um, over 
extreme idolatrous ways and even new age and addiction and experimenting with other things, trying to get that epiphany, trying to fill that void. And even in um, uh, sexual uh, um, addictions Mm -hmm. and things like that, we didn't really talk about that so much, but it's there in idolatry and you know exactly what it is. But your prayers are not in vain. Keep praying for that person. Uh, never give up on them mm-hmm. um, as far as you may have to distance yourself, but yeah. always have your uh, your arms open uh, uh, for them. Um, should they repent. Should they repent, you will be that face of Christ mm-hmm. for them mm-hmm. or they will remember you in some kind of way. It is not in vain. God always works um, uh, for his own glory of what he propagates mm-hmm. uh, from that. Right. That's and you can, you can go and follow him knowing for sure. Uh, that he is good always, regardless of what happens. Regardless of circumstance, yeah. All right, so we hope this was interesting. We hope it blesses you. Um, We love your feedback. Please keep messaging us, commenting. We'd love to know what specifically, you know, around this topic you guys would like to hear more about. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, like, subscribe, share. Right, all All of it. Tell your friends. Do all that stuff. (laughs) Tell your preacher. Yeah. Tell your teacher. <laughs> tell your preacher. Tell your teacher. Um, All right. So with that. <laughs> with that. And as we leave off every episode with this, in this world, you will have many trials, many tribulations, many sufferings. Yes. But take heart. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And that is death. And if you die a death like his, you certainly will have a life like his. Amen. Bye.